Ron and Anian. I wonder if we're going to see more cars in the future down on the side of the road with hoods up as a result of maintenance that wasn't done because people didn't know to do it. Broke down on the side of the road, damn brakes locked up in the rain. Smoke's pouring out from under my hood and stuck on the highway again. The car doctor. It's going to be a case of, hey, here's the VIN, here's the RPO codes. What do I need to finish putting the trailer install in if I've already got the harness in the in, in the bumper? Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. The auto repair industry is running out of things to do, at least judging by the repairs I've seen or the requests for repairs I've seen in the shop this past couple of weeks. It seems that the conventional repair is going away. It's going the way of the dinosaur, folks. It is. And I can tell because everybody coming in the door, I need brakes. I was told I need brakes. You know, the last guy I was at, he said I needed brakes. Betsy came in this week. Betsy is in her early 90s. She's still driving, God love her. It's, a, uh, it's an 02 Toyota Camry. And with just about 38,000 miles on the odometer, she was told she needed brakes. And she was concerned, obviously. Brakes are <laughs> what's the second most important thing, unless you're going to Fred Flintstone the car. So we, you know, did an obligatory, let's do a four-wheel brake check. Took it out, drove it. Yes, the brakes feel a little low. And brought it in, pulled the wheels, inspected it. No, there's more than enough brake pad. There's more than enough shoe. The brakes were out of adjustment in the rear. It had been a while, uh, you know, in the 18 years of this car's operation since the brakes were last cleaned and adjusted. Something else the industry doesn't do anymore. They'd rather just sell the whole job, I think. Then Paul came in last week, the week before. He needed brakes, or was told he needed brakes, but he didn't understand why. The car had 21,000 miles on it. We put that car up in the air. The same thing. We're, you know, if, if anything, we're, we're consistent, we're repeatable. We always repeat the process over and over again. And sure enough, pulled four wheels, better than four to five millimeters of brakes all the way around. And, and let me explain that a little bit, okay? Uh, there's two things I want to explain here. Number one, if it is a four-wheel disc brake vehicle, brake rotors in the front, brake rotors in the back, calipers, etc., then there is no adjustment. There really is no clean and adjust. There's no thing you're really going to do other than maybe washing brake pads down getting off whatever dust is on the ex exterior of whatever hardware is there. And to me, the only type of clean and adjust, if we want to call it that, on a disc brake pad is find a quiet side street, back up at 15 to 20 miles an hour, and smack the brakes real hard. Do that a couple of times. And what you're going to do is you're going to scuff the face of the brake pad and wipe off the glaze. And then, yeah, you do that three, four, five times. Make sure, like I said, you've got a long enough street and there's nobody around. And start driving forward, and all of a sudden you're going to go, hmm, the brakes feel better. That's because you've put fresh friction against the rotor. Say that seven times fast. Fresh friction, fresh friction, fresh friction. I'll count myself lucky and call it there. Um, against the rotor, and, and you, you've helped the stopping power. It's all about coefficient of friction, right? Say that. No, we won't go there again. So that's a disc car. Now, Betsy's car, that was Paul. Betsy's car was a disc brake rear drum car. Remember brake drums? My God. Oh, the shivers I get when I think about all the brake drums. We used to have to brake front brakes with brake shoes and, you know, we used to have cars that pulled, right? Remember when 
cars or the, the brakes pulled because the front brakes were out of adjustment. All the technology that's that we've kind of thrown away and it surpassed it with newer stuff. And I guess that's why I think we're running out of things to do. Simple things, okay? It's, you know, it, it's slowly going from you need a diagnosis for an electrical issue, which is probably the number one thing today, to a computer reflash, to engine and transmission repair. That middle-of-the-road repair, those, those maintenance things that you do, 30, 60, 90,000 miles, they're going the way of the Etzel. The, the, you know, replace brakes seems to be the more common thing as the industry tries to generate their numbers to keep themselves going. And I'm not saying everybody does it, and I'm not saying it's, it's but it's a concern. And both Paul, Betsy, and a few other people this month were, were shocked at it. And they said, you know, how do you know? And I said, you don't. I said, a lot of it is, is, can be based on mileage. You know, how many miles are on the car? How do the brakes feel? Does it seem like it's stopping? Are they making any noise? But even that won't tell you if a brake pad is, is, is close to its minimum. Let me explain something. We measure brakes in millimeters. A new brake pad is roughly 10 to 12 millimeters thick. All right. So at midlife, it's five to six millimeters thick. The death point of a brake pad, where we say, "Okay, it's time to put brakes on the car," is two millimeters thick, and it you know goes from this to this to that. Now, if they say to you, "Hey, it's got four millimeters; it needs brakes," or better yet, I'll I'll talk about the dealers for a minute because they're 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 believe me, they're active in this too. Uh, the dealers are all doing these colored checklists. You know, you've seen them; they got multicolored circles and arrows and and twenty-seven eight by ten colored glossy pictures of everything wrong with your car. And you went in for an airbag recall, like, what's that all about? When they write three millimeters or four millimeters, that's a, that's a thickness measurement. Three, four millimeters isn't life and death. Three millimeters isn't life and death. Two millimeters, you're there. So, you know, you're approaching it at three. My point is, ask how thick the brake pads were. Ask them, hey, did you, and if they say, well, you know, by eye, they were, no, no, we're not doing this by eye. There's actually a gauge that you can lay against the rotor and measure the thickness of the brake pad. Gain some knowledge because it might save you some money in the long run. Brake shoes? Brake shoes are a different animal. And typically you'll see front brakes go before rears on most cars. As a matter of fact, um, you'll see like 0, 2, 3, 4, 5, all the way up through 10, 12. Honda Civics? I don't think we do any brake shoes on Honda Civics. They're one of the, they're one of the few cars that are out there that still front disc rear drum. A lot of the Civics are rear drum. We see those cars go 200,000 miles on rear brake shoes. That's how long they last. So bottom line, make sure you've got a relationship with that guy. Make sure you trust that person that's telling you, hey, you need brakes. And ask them casually, so I need brakes. What else do I need? Or is it a slow day in the shop? Or how long can I go? And that's the more important question. Chances are you can probably go a little bit longer, at least enough to go get a second opinion. Hello and welcome, Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor here at the helm. We've got a lot of things going on the next two hours. We're going to talk a little bit about the Car Care Council, uh, some of their things that they're talking about for a uh, healthy work-drive balance and a relationship with your car, which is what you really want, right, for the price of what a car costs you. You need to know I've got a couple of emails about Toyota Siennas and um, some comments from Hunter who wants to chime in. Uh, responding to my comments about parts made in China. We're going to talk about that a little bit. And we've got a bunch of things going on, but right now let's do what the car doctor likes to do best. Let's kick the garage doors open, get over to Jeff in Georgia, 88 Chevy Silverado. Jeff, you're on. What's going on, babe? Uh, I'm back. 
I guess I'll start at the beginning. Sure. I have this 88 Chevrolet. I don't drive it very often. Uh, it's just like a farm truck. Uh, it, I was at my son's house a few months ago, and it wouldn't. We went to leave, and it wouldn't start. And I thought, well, my my gas gauge doesn't work good, so I put a gallon of gas in it. Thought maybe it was out of gas, and it started up. Then, so I went to the gas station, filled up, and you know, lo and behold, I know it wasn't wasn't out of gas. So. Right. Uh, a few days or a week or so later, I tried to crank it at home and it wouldn't start. So, you know, I just started trying to do some troubleshooting and I was getting fire. I checked the spark and then I got the wiring diagram out and started checking, you know, for my fuel pump uh, relay and uh, put a jumper wire on it and made the fuel pump run constantly and it still wouldn't crank. Uh, so, well, I it, replaced it, it, the it fuel filter. It wouldn't crank or it wouldn't fire? It, would, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, uh, fire it wouldn't it wouldn't crank start up it was right. cranking over but right. it wouldn't wouldn't uh, start it wouldn't start uh right okay so so, so, so it, wait let me filter. back up a second here wait a minute now okay um okay. When, when you say it had fire it had spark right how do you know what did you how did you I, test it i have a just a little tester with a light on it do you plug into the spark plug wire between the spark plug and the uh, wire okay is that is that does that measure the amount of spark, or is it just there's a pulse there? Just a pulse. Okay. Go ahead. Continue. Okay. So I put a fuel filter on, and uh, I think the battery was dead at that point. And so I charged the battery up and went out the next day, and it started up. And so I've driven it some since then, and it did this problem one more time, and then the next day it would start. So uh, then a few weeks ago, I was driving uh, from my son's house again over some hills, you know, uh, going up and down, and it just cut off on me. Okay. And, you know, wouldn't start, so I had it record home, and we get it off the record, and I... Fired right up. And it cranks right up. Yeah. Right. Always does. So then so then last weekend, I, 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 I put a fuel pump in it, thinking maybe it was a fuel pump or the fuel regulator, so... Last weekend, I drove it to the auto parts store and cut it off and went in and came back out and it would start. So I got a ride home and went back a couple hours later and it cranked right up and I drove it home. Okay. And where's, so, it, where's, it, where's it stand now? You haven't put a fuel pump in it yet or you have? Well, I have put I have put a fuel pump and it's done this since I put the fuel pump in. So okay. I, so I'm, I'm looking at how to diagnose my, my problem so I don't get stranded somewhere. Gotcha. All right, I'll tell you what. You sit tight. Let me pull over and, and take a pause for the cause, and when I come back, we'll talk about it. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor at your service. Don't go away. What's more fun than listening to Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor and getting that car fixed right? 855-560-9900. Give Ron a call. Now, back to Ron. Jeff, you're still there. Yes, sir. Still here. Okay. So, um, you're doing it right. I, I just think that you need more definitive information. So, let's go get it like this. All right. First okay. of all, I want you to get a spark tester. All right. I'm going to make you spend, I think it's 20 bucks. Okay. Um, it, it, it'll look like a little spark plug with an alligator clip on it. And it's, okay. it's, it's a test spark plug. It'll be calibrated 
for high energy ignition, which is what this is, HEI. But you can use it on a lot of things. Or they make the ones that are like a black piece of plastic about three inches long, two and a half inches long. It's got an alligator clip on one end. It's got a terminal for the spark plug wire on the other end. And then you can you can set it. It's, it, it, it's got an adjustable position on it so you can set the spark gap to replicate 30,000 volts, 40,000 volts, 50, 60, so on. Because you, you can't judge spark in atmosphere and consider it the same as when it's pressurized in a cylinder. It just doesn't work like that. So okay. I, I, I think you've got spark, but I just want to be sure because I have seen the problem that I'm going to talk about do just what you're describing to me, and I want to eliminate it as a possible, uh, a possible cause. So, you know, any auto parts store, if you've got a, you got a, you got a local O'Reilly Auto Parts, uh, yeah. Yeah, just jump into an O'Reilly Auto Parts. They'll have a spark plug gap tester. Uh, they'll probably have, I think, KD at the time. I remember I still have my KD set. They had a standard ignition one and a high-energy ignition one. You know, my, you might spend 40 bucks. I'm dating myself, but so maybe they're a little more. But you know what? They're good because if you're, if you're on a farm, a piece of farm equipment stops, spark is spark from vehicle to vehicle. You can use them on everything. All right? It's, okay. It's, it's, so it's, it's got universal approach, all right? So let's get spark out of the way. Uh, I, I like the fuel idea. You don't have a fuel pressure gauge, do you? Uh, no, and that that throttle line doesn't have a Schrader valve. Right, you have to pressure gauge too. Right, you have to go into it where the fuel filter is. So when this doesn't run, all right, when this doesn't start, the thing I would like to see is, and you know, I'm going to tell you, hey, can you hear the fuel pump prime? Can, can you hear the fuel pump prime? Jeff, do you? Are yes. You, you, yeah. So you can you can hear it prime, but you don't know if it's really running while you're cranking it, right? Fair, uh, fair, yeah. Fair statement. You can't hear it over the engine cranking, correct? Right. Okay. Right. So why don't we find the hot lead going to the fuel pump and wire in a bulb, and you can put that bulb anywhere on the truck. You could you could okay. you, you could mount that bulb in the cab. You could put it in the pickup bed. If it has a pickup bed or a stake body, whatever this is, it's a farm vehicle. So this way you can look at it. You turn the key on, and you know what? It'll help you understand and, and realize just what's going on. You turn the key to crank, that bulb's going to light up uh, for two seconds, and then if you don't if you don't engage the starter, you, know, you just turn it to on, not crank, I'm sorry, on, not crank, you'll see that bulb light for two to three seconds. That's, you know, that's, that, that's pulse. It's, it's priming the pump. And right. it didn't see ignition, so it won't, or it didn't see tack signal, so it won't cause the pump to run. Now you crank it, the bulb should light up again, telling you the pump is running. You with me? Okay. Now I'm with you. What, what I'm what I'm what I'm trying to slowly get the long way around is it's either fuel or spark. It could be a computer issue, which would be not common. The only thing I can tell you, you can try. Is because you don't have any, you don't have a scan tool. I'm assuming you don't have a scan tool, right, Jeff? I I have an OBD two, but this is OBD one. Right, this is old school stuff. So yeah. what what you can do is one of the best barometers of is the computer alive. Doesn't tell you if it's good, bad, working, or or doing what it's supposed to do. But one of the best tools is is the computer alive. Turn the key to the on position. Is the check engine light on? Okay. Check check engine lights lit. The computer's awake because the request for check engine light or the the driver for check engine light or mill lamp as we used to call it that driver's in the pcm pcm's awake it's turning on the lamp 
as long as the engine's not running. Now, it may go out over a period of time. Vehicles are different. You know, we're, we're trying to look at a broken car to decide, hey, should that light be on all the time, or will it fade away after five seconds? My guess is it's going to fade away after five seconds, and that's just the PCM doing what it's programmed to do. So I don't think that's a bad thing if it does that. All right? But the first question is, when it goes into this no start, does this vehicle, you know, key on, engine off, and, you know, the key's been off for more than 10 seconds, key on, engine off, does it light up the mill? Does it light up the check engine light? Okay. All right. Mills, by the way, is malfunction indicator lamp. I'm being fancy today. Right. Okay. So um, last thing, and, and, and this is what I really want you to pay attention to, all right? You know, if, if spark looks weak, it's got fuel pressure, or fuel pressure is cockeyed, it's, it's funny in the way it's, it's coming to, you know, exist. You're not sure is that bulb lit full capacity or is the bulb sporadic in its operation going back to the fuel pump. And remember, we've, we've also got a ground leg uh, feeding that fuel pump, so we want to consider that. Maybe we want to add a redundant ground just for now, just to be sure, and I'm just offering that as a possibility. Do we have a bad distributor pickup? 86, 7, 8, 9... The, the 2000s, eh, not so many of the 2000s, but boy, you are right in the sweet spot, brother, all right, of, of I'm sorry, not 2000, 90, is what I'm thinking. Um, you are right in the sweet spot of a bad pickup, and not not the pickup coil, not the, not the module, not the magnetic pole piece, but the reluctor, the piece that's riveted to the distributor shaft that's spun around. Okay. All right. Uh, so much so that when people call me and tell me or we talk about it at the shop and they say, hey, I put a remand distributor in it, I wouldn't trust it. Because I tell you this, the only way you know, unless you're going to scope it, to look at the signal coming out of that reluctor feeding the pickup coil, feeding the trigger, is you're going to take the distributor apart, drive the roll pin out of the out of the gear, pull the shaft out, make sure you index everything. I always I always scribed a mark where the gear was so I was indexing the shaft to the gear so I could put it back together the same way. Pull that pull that reluctor, that centerpiece out. It's riveted together. If it's cracked around the rivets, that reluctor's bad. And it's 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 causing the cracks interrupt the magnetic field and affect how the pickup coil operates and it does just what you're describing. Take a look at that, think of those things, call me back if you need more. I'm Ron and Andy in the car doctor. We'll be back right after this. back. We're on the, the car doctor. Let's get over to Boston and talk to Hope. There's Hope in Boston. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, wait, Taurus. Hope, how can I help yes, you today, brother? Yes, sir. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. afternoon. How are you doing, sir? Yes, sir. Good. What's going on? Uh, I think I beat off more than I can chew right here. Uh -oh. but, um, I was trying to do uh, a water pump on our four oh, Taurus. Okay. And the way these engines are designed is the chain is driving the pump. Right. Correct. Uh, same thing as the Flex, MKZ, all that stuff. So, uh, long story short, I put it apart, valve covers, all that's nine yards, you know, the whole thing comes apart and go to the pump, put it apart. But here's a problem, is it never aligned when I turned the pulley, the crank pulley. Right. I turned it like 27 times because the left cam, the right cam, and the crank have to align on the pink uh, chain knobs um, to be, you know, right on PDC, the top of the turn. Right. So... 
I turned it 29 times in two degree weather on a Sunday evening. I gave up. And the last time I did it, it was off by two teeth. I turned it one more time that night, and it was off two teeth on the right, two teeth on the left, two teeth on the bottom. Okay. The calm lobes were pretty much on the spot. So I think it was off like maybe 15, 20 degrees uh, because if it's two sprockets mm-hmm. off, um, I was thinking that the computer will compensate for that degree when I put it back. But I got tired of turning it and gave up. Okay. So what happened was I put in the water pump, you know, all the specs. You know, I was using all data and Mitchell, but the problem I ran into with these two programs is they don't even tell you to move the engine. I think they're trying to assume that you can work with what you have with the engine is in the car. Right. Having done this job, I think the engine has to come out for you to be easy, you know, to access the firewall, spark plugs. You know, it's a V-shaped Duratec, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah. Crazy working with this engine. I right. mean, I've never done this. I mean, I don't do it. You know, I didn't go to school for this stuff, so I just do it on the side. Hey, you know, and, credit, uh, credit, credit, for, credit for trying, right? Look at, look at what you're learning. But um, um, so the problem is they wanted to plow the lot. So I had to put it back real quick. And long story short, I left the two sprockets, two sprockets left, right, and bottom the way they were, took off the chain, put on the pump, put it back, put on the valve covers, all that nine stuff, and now it's misfiring. Right. Right, because it's off it's off it's off uh at the chain where it's driving the cam. Or the other end. So my question to you is two part depending on what you tell me, is it easier to throw in another engine or put it apart again and align it the old fashioned way. Now, everyone tells you to turn that crank. What if you turn it 27 times and it doesn't align? I mean, it's heavy turning that thing. Well, and I've never done it the 27 turn method. I've I've heard of this where you're turning it so many revolutions that you're going to get it to line up that way. that's what I'm getting at. Right, yeah, I I get that. Um, The way I've done that job and the way we continue to do that job is you just, and I know you're not going to like this answer, brother, but you got to have the tools. You got to have the tools to lock the cams in place. I, yeah, I did have the tools. I did have the tools, but again, I just stopped on the two sprockets because I turned it so many times. I got tired. It was too cold. So, so you've got the two uh, uh, tools that bridge over the top of the cam that lock the right. cam straight I up. I did. So I locked it on the two sprockets. Like you know, I stopped on the two because I couldn't turn it anymore. Okay. My fear was if I could turn it, it would misalign again and be off by five teeth on the left, right, and bottom. Right. So I said, well, two teeth might compensate. The computer might compensate. No, it won't compensate. It's got, it's, got, it's got to be on the mark. All right. Yeah, they're, so they're, that's where the problem yeah. I run into. Right. So it's, it's got to be on the mark or it's not going to compensate. You know, we've, we've, we do them in the car, so we don't pull the engine. I've seen guys pull the engine. I'm not saying it's the right. wrong way to do it. We've done enough of them. We do them in the car that it's 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 not an issue it can be done i guess you can do it both ways it's obviously it's easier if the engine's right in front of you maybe because it's your first time and maybe somewhere along the way the first one or two we pulled the engine to do it i'd have to think back it's 15 years ago uh this generation water pump but you know it can be done in the car it's if you've got the tools to lock everything in place but i mean you need everything i just went through this with a repair shop around the corner from us they attempted to do this without the tools and it uh, turned out it was the boss's wife's car. And, <laughs> um, you know, after three days of that, the, the mechanic working on it called me up and he said, do you think, do you have, I said, yeah, I got those tools. He said, could I borrow them? Sure. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, yeah, the boss's wife wants her car back. I said, well, let's see if, let's see if we can get right. you out of trouble. 
So, uh, you know, it's just got to follow procedure, Hope. It's and you got to right. go so, and, you, and you got to go through with the tools. Otherwise, you're just gonna you're gonna end up where you are. So, is there an old-fashioned way to do this without turning that crank? I mean, getting the you know rocker arms or whatever you know, doing it the old-fashioned way you used to do it without you know. Everyone says turn the crank until everything lines up, but you know, unless you pull the spark plugs, the thing is the spark plugs one, two, three are facing the firewall, so there's no clearance there really. Well, aren't you? Aren't <laughs> you? Well, wait a minute. How are you? How are you using the special tools on the cams if you're not pulling the valve cover? No, you pull the valve covers off, of course. You but how are you? But, but how are you pulling valve covers without getting the intake plenum off? Or you're pulling the intake plenum? Everything goes off on the top. Everything. Okay. Yeah. You know, right. You pull, you pull everything off. Everything comes off on the left end anyway uh, to be accessible. So. Right. But the, the, that's the problem I ran into. So I guess the question showed us, you know, whatever, is I have to do this again, I guess, right? Yep. But is there a way to do it, with, you know, the old way of maybe getting those phases out? I guess the phases have to come out again. I mean, how? where can I get this information? Because all data, Mitchell did not, you know, everyone okay. told you turn that crank. Right, now, and there... And they're they're going, you know, the Ford spec. All they're doing is repeating the Ford procedure. So do this. Have you been to YouTube? Yeah, I've, I've been to YouTube, but there's one guy who pulled the engine. Now, you know, having done this one time, I think it was better that way, looking at the clearances and engine mounts and all that stuff. But I don't even have a lift anyway. Right. So. <laughs> right. Well, but, I, you know, have you found anything on YouTube to give you a visual presentation no. of here's how we're lining it up? The only thing I found was the person who pulled it out, and he did a good job of, you know, putting those phases out, left cam, right cam, and the bottom, you know, putting the chain off, and, you know, he did, you know, that was the only detailed video I saw, but with all data and Mitchell, all they are telling you, you know, pull the, you know, manifolds off or whatever, and then they say, you know, pull the water pump. Right. They don't go into, you know... I don't know where that information is. I know it's kind of old school because everything has changed today, whether it's a Toyota or a truck or whatever, you know. That's the problem I'm running into. Um, it was starting before, but you had the water pump issue, so I thought I could, you know, right. attack this. So here, do yes, this. I, do this. Right, why, don't you, right. why don't you go out and, and retrieve some information right from the Ford database? I believe, and I could be wrong, it's been a while since I've done this, but I believe you can purchase from Ford a subscription on a on a three day basis, if I'm not mistaken, and you know log in and get the same dealer information that the dealer has, and uh, you know right from Ford's website. Why don't you try researching that? I'm kind of surprised the YouTube video thing doesn't work because I've seen YouTube videos for things that I. Listen, I needed. I was trying to figure out how to get my faucet, my kitchen sink to work at home because it's an automatic wave your hand in front of it with the sensor thing. And they had a YouTube video for that, so I'm kind of surprised they don't have a YouTube video for putting a timing chain on one of these. Yeah, I mean, uh, everyone puts a video out there when the thing is already open, you know, all the nice stuff. I mean, <laughs> well, but listen, is- listen, watch. What, I don't care if the engine's inside, in or out of the car. All right, I mean, you'd have to make the adjustment for how you're going to do it if you leave the engine in the car, but at least then you understand you don't necessarily crank the chains around. You can preload the chain against the tensioner, leave the slop where you have to leave the slop. That's what I'm trying to get you to see by looking at a YouTube video. Because Yeah, those I, details, they're not there. I mean, I looked at, you know, 
Well, I, 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 the I, specifics I, of, you know, the, everyone will turn it fine. They will turn the pulley and then they'll show you, oh, right, left, bottom, align, all right, go. Right. You know? Right. And, and, but what if it does not and you have to keep on, you know, cranking that thing until. Uh, that, that's the issue I'm having. Like, okay, if I have to do it without step, is there an old, another way of doing it? Not, not, not that I'm aware. It's either it's either doing it from scratch and just setting everything up using tools, or it's crank it around. And those are the only two ways I understand it to be done. Wow. Yeah. All right. And it sounds like maybe you're you're just unfortunately you if you do need to pull the engine at this point, you don't have that capacity. Maybe it's time to uh, to get it over to somebody that can and get them to repair. Yeah. You know, I've done it once. I don't think I want to. Uh, Right. Go over down it's so, terrible. This under, is a very bad design. I don't know. It's a very bad design. Right. It's, Understood. And a lot of them are like that. Hope, let me run. Okay, I'm up against the clock, but uh, I wish you well, my friend, and I hope uh, hope things work out for you. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's coming back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Andy, The Car Doctor. And, and I'll tell you this. I don't know if Hope is still listening. We hope Hope's still listening. There must be a... Nah, never mind. Um, make sure... And and I hope, no no pun intended, that you're using the Ford part in that Taurus, all right? Uh, because there's just there's there's no reason not to, to uh, you know a, a, a motorcraft piece, whether it's you know new from motorcraft or new from Ford, which I think is probably the same thing for that generation vehicle. Uh, but yeah, that's not something you want to use a cheap part on because you don't want to do that job twice. But I, I think you already know that. I think uh, I hope hope learn that. So look at that double entendre. Let's uh let's go over to David in Iowa. David, uh, what's going on, David? Welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Hey, thanks a lot. Let me get my speaker here for a second. I got two bad letters and I can't hear with uh, one of them. All right. Hey, uh, I I've got an idea. I wanted to share with you. Just kind of a brainstorm run across my head. You know, we're always talking about this gas, the fuel, the cars, the, all the technology that we have to know about our automobiles and stuff. Do you see anything in the future where we could use just electricity? You know, we can make it right here where, you know, we've got fans out here, you know, they're all over the place, you know, and they produce a lot of electricity and they store a lot of it. And uh, if this goes across the United States, wherever it's at, okay, uh, why couldn't we put something uh, in the road with the technology we have so that each car could uh, decide where it wants to go without having an accident or turn off or whatever? And uh, we could just, uh, you know, the other thing we'd be out with was probably a, uh, a tires, and that's about it. You know, we wouldn't have to worry about all this other stuff. You know what? You know what, David? I think I think in a reality where we left emotion and opinion out of it, I think the idea of an all electric vehicle nation would survive. But unfortunately, I don't think that's the case. We've got a society that doesn't want to look at reality in terms of what we really need to do, and we don't, we don't do it. Uh, by that I mean, yeah, well, we, can you imagine tomorrow, David, tomorrow, or 10 years from now, and what is the time frame, right? But somewhere along the way, we decide, hey, we're going all electric. What are you going to do with the gasoline industry, oil, petroleum-based industry? What are you going to do in, in an economy that's, that's, that's based on com- internal combustion engines at this point? And, well, uh, people are going to be drilling holes down into the center of the earth to try to get some uh, thermal energy to come up. If uh, even if we run out of, you know, we're sitting on a great big ball of fire right here, you know, out in space. So, well, uh, the, in, 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 in the in, in the grandest scheme of things, yes, sir, I understand that. But my point is, I don't see an all-electric vehicle world 
for a long time to come. It won't be in my lifetime. I don't think it'll be in my kids' lifetimes and their kids' lifetimes. It's, it's, it's a long ways away. I just don't see it. I, I think right now, I think we're kind of kidding ourselves that we're really making an honest effort to do that because of, uh, well, let's just say I, I think we could, um, you know, it's, it's, for us to get to be Star Trek, we're going to have to be like Star Trek and, you know, where money doesn't exist and it doesn't exist in the 23rd century and that's how long it might take. 855-560-9900. David, as always, I appreciate the comments. Ron and Annie, the car doctor, we're back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the end of the car, Doctor. Let's do some email, which I want to get done so we can next hour maybe hit the phones a little harder. Hey, Ron, my neighbor's got a 2011 Toyota Highlander. The key fob stopped working. He's changed the batteries, and he put them incorrectly. There's no change. Any thoughts, Frank, from Pennsylvania? Um, yeah, Frank, does he, does he have a second remote? The easiest thing to do is if he has a second remote, does the second remote work? And I'm going to assume no because you probably would mention, probably won't be writing the email if it works, so, uh, but I just want to mention that for everybody else's benefit. We always tend to forget about that second remote that's sitting at home in our jewelry box collecting dust because we haven't used it in seven years, so uh, change the battery, good step. Um, the other question I've got is, is it only um, that the fob doesn't lock or unlock? Does it remote start the vehicle? Do any of the other functions work? Maybe it's a bad button on that fob. Have you tried anything else? Sometimes remote starts are accessed and so on. Last, Key fobs are generally tested through tire pressure sensor tools, all right? Every repair shop's got one. It's a, it's a matter of, I believe, because tire pressure sensors are done Bluetooth wirelessly that we have the ability in the TPMS tool to test key fobs wirelessly. So it would be a question or a matter of getting a hold of a repair shop going in, and I'm sure maybe they'll do it for free. Maybe it's, if it's their regular repair shop, maybe there'll be a small diagnostic fee. I can't imagine it being much. But just to try and access, um, you know, the, the sensor, it's a matter of squeezing the sensor, and they look for a signal readout on the TPMS tool. No signal? Got a bad key fob. It's not impossible. But like I said, double check. I would double check with the neighbor. Do they have a second key fob? A lot of people forget, and by the blank look stares I get on the faces of people, they go, Oh, yeah, I got one of those. I never thought about that. Um, so just, uh, just just word to the wise. Hey, the Car Care Council is talking about we need to maintain a healthy work-drive balance, which I agree with. This came out recently in January. The fact that commutes to work are longer than ever, according to the most recent U.S. Census, the average commute time is up 20% since the census began tracking this back in 1980. The more time we spend in our cars, the more important it becomes to make sure our vehicles are comfortable and safe places to be. And that's according to the nonprofit Car Care Council. They've got a number of tips for commute to help ensure their trips to and from work are enjoyable. Uh, among them, changing the cabin air filter. Obviously, we want to breathe clean air. You want to maintain the vehicle safety systems, and you want to make sure to keep in mind that a clean car makes a happy car and ultimately a happy driver. So if uh, there's no room in the car, maybe you want to clean it, you'll feel better about being there. More information, you can find it at carcare.org. I'm Ron and Amy in the Car Doctor, reminding you once again, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.